0: a little bit of background, who I am, and who is this man up here? <laughs> and because uh, there's a story in there, and not, not to talk about myself, but the story of what God's leading, and that's the good part of stories, yeah? Amen. Okay, well, background is, is I was raised uh, not in the faith, and raised in a Religious home, not a spiritual home. We, not at all, uh, sort of a you know, Roman Catholic Irish fighting, you know, fighting Irish. Okay. If you know, some of you may have come from that. You know what I'm talking about. And uh, spicy family, I would say. Okay. And then we were a military family of my. Seven children, five of us went and did army careers, military careers. The other two married military. My parents met in World War II in the military, and so I went into the military, like the rest, good duty, went to West Point, and became a paratrooper. I was, and in that time, at my first assignment as a young man, I was about 20 23 or 24 met a man who had just become a Christian and actually as odd as it sounds to Anabaptist thinking I became a believer in the military I'm learning something about myself most people go in through the front door I come in through the back door backwards (laughs) and go how did I end up here this happens all my life okay and the man who witnessed to me uh i actually at that point was quite an athlete i i was a football player wrestled i boxed for a time and this guy tried to witness to me and i bravadoed him back and but yet i saw his life i saw his life he was trying to shape his life to the word of god that's what i saw and so what do you do i swiped his bible took it home and it's it's like taking home a grenade with a pin pulled okay so I was reading this word of God for the first time and it was I just remember in the book of Matthew reading it it was it was like the hand of God coming out pointing at you and audible thou art the man you know Nathan thou art the man you're it was explosive to me and I went through a Strange conversion in that the man who was witnessing to me, he got transferred away. He he did come back and get his Bible, though, <laughs> and gave me one. Okay, so we, we did a... And I had this conversion where I didn't know what was going on. But the Spirit of God, now I look back and I understand. The Spirit of God was shaking me up, took my roommates away. I was living an absolute, wild, out-of-control paratrooper life. I don't like any of the memories from that. But at that point, God was shaking me and, and my life was changing and everybody was what's going on with you? Because I lost my desire for this and lost my desire for that and I'm not doing that anymore. And I couldn't tell anybody, why, why, what's the matter with you? I go, I don't know, I don't want to do that. But at night I'd be reading. At night I'd lay in bed and I, I could take you back to the bedroom and I'd look at the ceiling and I'd go, God, I don't know who you are. Show me, I don't know who you are. And it was really the spirit of God and the word of God that pulled me into the kingdom. Okay? And uh, shortly after that, I didn't know what to do. Now I found the, the non-resistant stuff right there. What do I do? I remember I remember specifically in a vehicle, vehicle during military operation once. Am I supposed to be doing this? Doesn't it say... So I got, sought some counsel, and the counsel was, the military needs Christians. There's a whole message there within it. And, okay, stay in the calling to which you are called. You've heard that, yeah? That, okay, all right, I don't know what to do. I've, I just came back from teaching three weeks at a Bible school up in Missouri. One of the things I tell my young people, and I, I did this to my young, young officers when I was training them, you don't know what to do, do something. You do the wrong thing, you're going to learn. You do the right thing, you're going to learn. You do nothing, and you're going to hear from me. <laughs> and I didn't know what to do. So do something. I don't know what to do. I wasn't getting guidance. Do something. All right, I stayed in the Army. I went to Germany and had an interesting time in Germany. It was where I stopped watching television and not... On purpose is because I lived on the economy. I lived in the German economy, and as a new believer, I was trying to. I got involved with the German church and was learning German. And my brother got married and came over for his honeymoon, but I wasn't there. I was in field operations, so I arranged for him to come in. And I came back and saw my brother, and it was nice to see him. But you know, he's talking to you. You know, you're talking to somebody, and there's something going on. And he's talking to you, and he's yeah, yeah. It's nice to see you. What's going on? I finally. go, What's going on? And he goes. Uh, I plugged your TV into the 220. <laughs> so I had a TV. <laughs> and I, I. said, Oh, it's okay. I. I don't. I couldn't get the German airwaves, anyways. I couldn't. I couldn't watch it. I was. I'd stop watching because of that. And so he said, You want to know what it was like? <laughs> so, he said it would look like a nuclear explosion, but. That was the during that time is when I stopped. I got off television, not not purposely. Not like I'm this great guy who figured it out. I got off TV, and I think uh, outside of coming to Christ may have been one of the greatest things that the Lord led me out of because I was very mediated. Unfortunately, in my childhood, my first pictures of my are of my dad taking pictures of me on the on the carpet, you know, watching television, my hands, head in my hands. So, in any case, let me move on here. I didn't know what to do. Stayed in the army. What do you do now, ministry-wise? Well, I got involved with youth work, and I I gave pretty much 20 years of my free time doing youth work. So I did Young Life, Young Life, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Youth for Christ, military community youth. Everywhere I went, I was getting involved with youth ministry, and uh, and I'll show you that led me to some positions on media. But from the Army standpoint, what do I do? The Army, I don't know, do I get out? What do I do? And the Army offered me grad school. I'll take that. So I went to grad school, became an IT guy, sort of mathematician at first, math, computer science type. And then later on, they sent me back to school again. I became in, in IT and became a computer simulation developer, basically video games for the military. Some analytical, mathematical ones that just spit out numbers for you for planning, but also virtual reality stuff. Now, this is in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, and became a simulation specialist, actually set up a a school for uh, simulation for the military, heavily involved in that, and back to my faith side, so these two things going on. I'm doing youth work all along, doing this youth work, trying to win high school students to the Lord. In the public high schools, actually was on, in my spare time, was uh, on staff at a high school for coaching, I was coaching uh, football and swimming and I had students to my house all the time. Actually kind of scared the neighbors sometimes. Had to, Practically the whole football team would come to my house. So I was, uh, trying the best I could to win them with success sometimes, sometimes not. You know, two verses that became very strong to me were, of course, the two of the great commissions in Mark, go preach the gospel to all people. Let's go to it. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. And he who does not believe will be damned. That's scary. A man took the risk to this man full of bravado. I actually, I actually grabbed him one time and and took the chance to witness to me. And I thought, I've got to bring the gospel to other people. And then in the end of Matthew, the other another one of them. There's there's five great commissions there. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth and end of the age. And I, this is it. If I didn't know anything, I knew that. Where do I go? And Got involved with high school, Sunday school. I actually got told to do it by a, a senior officer. Young man, you should be teaching Sunday school. Yes, sir. So I did it. it launched me into this. And at one point, I was really into, into this. I thought this is my life. I thought this is my purpose, it's teaching young people and with varying degrees, like I said. But one time I was at Fort Leavenworth, and uh, they, as, as my habit, I would come into a new place when I got stationed. I'd find a youth leader. Or, what are you doing? And do you need any help? And this one was like, to me, he looked at me and he, uh, he had one word, a break. And he said, take over, the, take over the Bible study. Take it over. So I had a Bible study of about 40 students. And uh, it was my life. I was in school for the military at the time, but I was studying every night, Bible study. I, was, I had stacks of youth work books, and I, I was just growing in this area. And one night, I remember I had about 40 of these students. They're all sitting on the floor and, and listening to me, and I gave this message, and I, I had object lessons I held up, and, and at the end of the message, they're all looking at me, and I was just, I, was, I thought I was doing so great. And then, as, as youth work goes, the parents bring all sorts of sugar, and they put sugar on these tables, cookies, and all this stuff that sodas. And they, I don't know why they do that, I think they pay a price later on. But they, they're all hanging out, and I overheard this girl, her name was Jackie. And I remember I was behind her, and she said to another girl there, Oh, Harry, he's getting boring. I overheard it. You know, when you overhear things, there's some sort of a credibility there. And I got mad. I was not happy. I was like, what? I'm just working so hard at this. And so I came back the next week. And I, uh, again, situation. And I had these. Railroad ties with me. I held up these railroad, you know, little, uh, little spikes, railroad spikes. And I said, you know what these are? And they go, yeah, we know. They're like nails for Jesus' hands, huh? And I I saw it knew something I hadn't seen. It was there. I hadn't seen it. I went, like, oh. I said, no, these are from the railroad track." You see, I was running on the railroad track this week, and I found them. I wanted to tell you a quick story. You see, when I was a young boy, we lived in Upper State, New York. We used to walk along the railroad tracks, and we liked to put coins on the rails. Anybody? Yes! You want the train to run? Yes! You know... You want to because they run it over and they squash it and it's big and it's really fun and so we would go up there and we would put our our ear on the rail to feel the train because it was in the mountains It was all cut through the you couldn't see the train coming so we actually you could feel the train coming and one time I put my ear down there and I felt it and I looked up and there was the train <laughs> it came around the corner and you, you you're looking at me seeing this man in a blue shirt I'm seeing a train. Right now, it's that um, this train, and it was flat black with a light coming at me, and I'm sitting there with a coin, and the track is moving, because the train is coming. And you know what happened. Now, I have all this youth there. I, I pulled out an air horn and I'm went, <laughs> I don't know if revenge is in there or not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But they had their hands on their And it echoed through the building. It was an apartment building. And they said, no. I'm here to get you off the path of judgment. The locomotive of God's wrath is coming. And I'm trying to, with anything I can do, get you off the path, because a judgment of God is coming. And when I teach you and work on these things, you criticize me for being boring? I say, tell you what, I am not MTV. I am not music video. I am not all the entertainment. I am not that I'm just a man who studies at night, comes here. I can't compete. I don't have millions of dollars in budget and hundreds of people and staff to contrive and put this together and tape it and cut it and paste it and change it and build all this thing so that you can be entertained. He says, I cannot compete and I will not compete. I will not compete. It's just something st- Turn, and it was this new thing that, in me. And I began to really look at, at this, this media issue. Now, as I went on with the great commissions that were moving me, driving me, it's God moving me, I really, I did this for 20 years, speech work, nonstop. I have many good stories about it, and again, Something wasn't working, it wasn't working. I would actually have my experiment with getting the students off media. There was some success. I challenged them, do a media fast, see what happened. Got a great burden for evangelism even more and actually started doing some street evangelism. I actually started in Germany and then street evangelism and beginning to understand I was running into the same problems in evangelism. After that, I'm sorry, I'm condensing my life a little bit. Really had a tremendous burden for the persecuted church. This is back in the late 90s. I was reading about the, the persecuted church, but I was not seeing the persecuted church. Do you understand? Yeah. Reading it, here it is. Yea, all. To live godly. Live godly. Will suffer persecution? I'm reading it. I'm not seeing it. I'm seeing play uh, and I had this burden and I said, Well, I've never met anybody who's suffered, really suffered. Okay, the boss didn't like it, you know, no, I mean, so I found myself in, finally found myself into in Sudan, in the war in Sudan. This is a long story, i got to condense it down. It took a while, I found myself over there, backpacking and in uh, combat zones, because crazy, cr- crazy, yes, but boy, boy, I'm so glad I did it. But even there, in the midst of nothing, dire need, death around, Entertain, media entertainment finding its way in, in there, and having the effect I'm going to talk about some of the effects just a little bit. I'm going to lay a foundation for some of the effects. I can't give this whole thing to you. I'm going to give you just one of the, one of the main points of media, what, it's, what it does to us. I'm going to give that. I'm coming to that. But I saw it there. My youth work, the church, non-believers out there in the streets, my neighbors, and even in the mission field, and working in these Areas of persecution. persecution, my wife and I spent many years supporting the persecuted church, still, still involved with some, some things with the persecuted church, underground church. Even those people are saying, help us with the media problem, help us. And so I was speaking on, on this media, talking to people, and actually actually became a little bit of a witnessing tool. Parents, ask parents. I was doing this. Children, are you aware what media does to your children? No, what? They tell me. I talk for hours sometimes with with people, strangers, about this. I'm going to give you a little bit of a background in what what I was doing. Has anybody ever heard this question, or may, the statement? The statement. don't make me come down there <laughs> How about this one Don't make me stop this car <laughs> All right, I think I got the rest of you <laughs> When I was working with a tribe in Africa called the Jum tribe, the tribe had been half of the tribe had been killed in war. And we were able to go in a temporary peace had come and we found our way in there. That's a long story, but we found our way in there and this was a basically a backpack type ministry. The airplane would we would take a mission aviation fellowship, single-engine airplane would come buzz the runway to get the goats off the runway and then stop, drop us off, and take a picture of us. And then we'd take off. And he'd say, Be back here in three weeks or six weeks. You better you you have to be here. That's it. He's going land. You're not there, he's gone. No communication in this part of the world. So I would uh, work with these people. Most fascinating when we go into war zones, because people's needs are open, and their openness to the gospel is there, too. Fascinating. And I used to go around and tell stories with them. They're a people. Actually, was helping develop a written language for this tribe, little as we could do. We did as much as we could, even though it was little. And uh, I would go to a new portion of the tribe. This is, a, this is a, a Muslim animist tribe. And I would ask them this question, why is life hard? Why is it hard? Death, starvation, famine. We were bringing enormous amounts of just grain in because of the famine, war, death. Brought a doctor with me. Doctor, I used to bring the, the uh, flight surgeon from Air Force One, got him. He was coming with me. Him handing me a baby. The doctor handing me a baby. I can't do anything. Death was everywhere. So it was a great question for them, and I would explain. Okay, So okay, let's start from the beginning. And I would go through the story of creation, go right to Adam and Eve and Satan, and then right into Cain and Abel, death, and fighting, and I built it on through until finally God destroys the world and starts with, again, Noah, and we have problems again, and he starts with people, and he brings the law, and he's going to shape these people, and they're still constantly breaking it and A hard heart towards God and rebellious, stiff-necked people. It's constantly going in until finally he came down here. He came down here. Praise God. He came down here. So he's down here. Let's get some context for this. We have a situation where the Lord God, almighty, infinite, Eternal, omniscient, above all, the most, the highest authority there is, has shed his glory, some of his attributes, and comes a man and stands on the earth. We have the Lord God Almighty standing on the earth. Wow. He came to the earth, He came to His people. He came to his people, and he came to the leaders of his people. He didn't just go show up somewhere. No, he focused in. In Matthew 22, we have a little story where he's in a little bit of a situation with some of these leaders. Verse 34. And when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, stop there. He wasn't asking because he just wanted some information. This was a test. You see, I think it was a trick. They wanted to confound him. You know, they did. They do that now and then. What's the first and greatest commandment? And by the way, who are they asking? The Lord God Almighty. Amen. We should be listening, yes? We should be listening to the Lord. We have just, in a sense, asked, God, what is number one? Now, they wanted to confound him. They are hoping, I think, I think. Well, if he said uh, adultery, what about murder? Well, if it was murder, what about blasphemy? Or what about the, all these other, I think they were going to try and play with them. But still, we have an opportunity. Put yourself there. The Lord God is on the earth. We, humanity, ask Him, what is number one? And He tells us, doesn't He? He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second one is like unto it You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these, two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Okay, we got it. Number one, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Number two, love the neighbors as yourself. First four commandments are about loving God. First four in the in, in Exodus. Second six commandments, loving your neighbor. You, you, you get this. I'm, I'm not getting into it, but the rich young ruler, look at it. Look at it, he missed the first commandment. He went after the second one. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, he went after the, it's, 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 it's there. I've spoken to high school graduations on this. actually got asked to go speak at high school graduation. Opportunity, you understand that there's a problem here. What is the issue now with media? It's this. Just as in the military, when I was in the military, you're never given a mission without giving the assets. I don't say, go take this hill or do this operation. With what? Service and support. What are, your, what are your needs to get you there? God commands us. And this, it boils down to one word. For me, one word. Relationship. It's about relationship. Relationship with God, relationship with others. I make this statement. I, it's not a, I don't want to say make a theological statement or a philosophical statement, but it's enough to, enough to grasp this. The purpose and context of life is relationship. I add one, I'm adding one in there also. I don't know if I can get to this today. Another whole concept here. Purpose of life, the purpose, context, And duty of life is relationship. And you demonstrate your relationship to God by your relationships with others. And you can't have proper relationship with others if you don't have a proper relationship with God. Amen? Now here's here's the point. God equipped us. We have in us all the tools for relationship. The main tools, eyes, ears, touch, touch, right, brother. Our main purpose coming into existence before we were out of Eden was relationship. We have all these tools. Now we have to go work with these tools because the curse, now you've got to use, instead of all these tools for relationship, it's now for Tilling and taking care of, it. we're in this curse now. We've doing, deal- but primary, primary purpose of all these purpose was all these. And the second is he put in us deep inclination for relationship. Deep. There's a story of uh, Philip Philip of Germany in the 1300s who had a quest. He wanted to know when a baby's born, an infant. What language will they speak? This happens in history sometimes. I'm not sure why. So he took a bunch of orphan children or nursing mothers or exactly, I'm not sure. And he said, raise them up, but don't speak to them at all. Because I think, I'm trying to guess which language will it be? He only thought of four. Is it will it be German? Will it be Arabic? Will it be Hebrew or Greek? You sort of see the situation there. now. Yeah. Which will it be? Do you know which one it was? We don't know, because they all died. And then in World War II, there was a man named John Bowlby who was trying to take care of orphans, the number of orphans after World War II. And they couldn't keep the children alive. And he did an experiment. You could never do it again. But he had, in a crisis, he took two groups of babies, and the nurses that were there and helping him, Feed them, wash them, make sure the beds sound, the light, and take care. This one, same thing. Feed them, wash them, the temperature. This one, pick up and hold every day. This one, do not pick up, do not touch. No affection. Same thing. All died. There are forces that are trying to make solitary confinement illegal because it is so powerful when a person is starved of relationship it can be deadly this is what god has put in us now here's the point and i won't have time to develop this completely because i want to get onto another topic but this is a foundational point when i speak on media and i when i go speak at churches i I generally will spend at least two hours just at this point to get it across. This media, this entertainment, this electronic simulations of human communication, simulations of human relationship, it works on us and it falsely satisfies our relational needs. What's going on? People are, you have it. A drive and a strive for a relationship what God has put in you. He put it in you. He put it in you. He put it in the pagan, the lost man. Put it in all of us. I've not seen a baby come out of the womb, but I hear babies come out of the womb looking for a set of eyes. Looking for a set of eyes to lock onto. You have that in you. If I put two dots somewhere, the first thing your brain goes, face. So you're, there, you're created for that. But what are we doing? We're creating simulations of people. Little boxes, whether it's a big screen, little screen. We're fooling our anatomy, we're fooling our social being. You're looking for something, you're looking for people, looking to have relationships. The issue is, we've got these little devices, big devices, falsely satisfying, our relational needs to the point that we don't need people. You wonder why America, the world, is getting relationally cold? Because they're getting their needs met. Falsely, falsely. Because we're not supposed to do this. You're supposed to be in relationship with people, the neighbors, not devices. Amen? This is the issue. It's like being very, very hungry for steak and getting Twinkies. It's not good for you. One of the issues when I work with youth, when I see that, non-interest, non-interest in other people, non-interest in their parents, that's one of the biggest indicators. I've been working in this stuff for a long time. I'll put this out at the beginning. I never tell a church anything I see, but I've been to many churches. I've spoken now at maybe 65, 70 churches on this topic. I come into churches that say they don't do media. And I come in and I can and the first the first group I look at, want to see you want to check the health of a church? Where are the girls? Youth girls, mainly Young men, they telegraph it. They telegraph their media use. And the the first one is disinterest. Second point, this media stimulation is so powerful. Not those little media devices or big devices can put out so much stimulation relational stimulation that you can't handle it. You don't know it. The things that that media is doing into you, you don't know. The way your brain is trying to process stories, cause and effects, and all that, you don't know the things that go on in there. Again, I I need a week to go through and explain. But I'm just covering covering a little bit of the surface. This is what I do when I'm witnessing it. To parents, I I give about this level. When I'm going to the people of God, I go much, much, much deeper. I need need that. Need that time. But it's super stimulating. The person to the point that the threshold for relational satisfaction is too high for a human to meet. In other words. That stimulus that you're getting is raising your expectation like a bit a bit like the way drugs work. Someone's on drugs, oh I think I'll just do one pill a day. No, we won't. I'll just do one marijuana cigarette or what do we call it a day. No, you won't. I'll just do a little bit of this meth. No, you won't. It's always, right? Always. The same thing. I want that stimulation. I got that stimulation. I want more. So we allow ourselves to be blasted by artificial relationship. Extremely powerful. Stimulating. And what does it do? It makes us think People are boring. Do we hear that? Boring. What's that from? Those of you who have been to the mission field where they have no media, it's not a concept. Boring and cool, they're not, they're not concepts out there where there's no media. It's a, it's a mediated culture. It's mediatization is the term that have this boringness. I worked with. Again, I've worked with many students over the years, and one of my surprises was when I was doing high school ministry. This is a bit before, before the cell phone stuff. I would always try to take them out, camping, or get get them away so we can have some good quality time. And one time, I I took them took them to the beach in the, in the, in the springtime. It wasn't. It was just couldn't go out swimming or anything and we had gotten two different condos or something like that that's when i learned more about what they do on saturday mornings guess what these teenagers up to 17 year olds do on saturday mornings cartoons and i realized these even the parents that are controlling their children and keeping them away from the media saturdays let them go so you were getting up of course, we do it now with this, but get up, watch cartoons, and then watch this TV show, and eat some, and watch, do, do all this media consumption all day, all afternoon. Watch movies and television, and at night they go to two movies. When I was working with them, this is some years ago now, they watch a movie, go to McDonald's, go to another movie. They get home, they watch Saturday Night Live. Anybody remember that? Saturday Night Live? They watch Saturday Night Live to one o'clock in the morning blasting blast themselves all day. And then Sunday morning, oh, get up, Joey, let's go to church. Let's take, we, we, we take him, let's bring them into church. Here they've been blasting themselves for about the last 18 hours, blasting themselves, and they come into church. And what is church about? It starts with an R. What's it about? It's about relationship. It's about relationship with the living God. It's about relationship with God's people. And they come in completely blasted, full. They don't want it. They don't need it. And, and I, was, I was speaking at his Baptist church once. I said, what do you expect your pastor? What do you think you're doing to him? And I hear this in the back, amen. He goes, the pastor. <laughs> you, you wonder what's going on out there in popular Christianity, pop culture, Christianity, the madness, the laser light shows, the sounds, the smoke, the... I'm sorry, my wife doesn't like this when I include her. We went, we were just visiting the area before we moved there to Virginia Beach. So let's go try some of the, let's go try some of those churches. We haven't been to, went to one church. And I wouldn't say it's just her alone, but we got car sick. <laughs> just this, you know. Because they decided they are going to compete with media. Remember I said, I won't compete with it? They will compete. We're going to do the same. We're going to beat. We're going to beat pop culture. No, you're not going to beat pop culture. And not, not just in this, in many things. It's not wise, people of God, to compete with pop culture. It's not. We don't belong to pop culture. We are supposed to be not conformed, be transformed, not conformed. Be careful of this. Again, I can go on. Those are, those are the two foundational. I've got about six more. I'm, I can't. But right there. Let me tell a little more of my story, what I was doing. And then I've got another an illustration. I have lots of illustrations for these. In any case, I was doing this. I was speaking to parents a lot. And then someone would say, well, can you speak at my church? Okay. So I was speaking at churches, rant, just strange people. I'd be at Starbucks working on my notes, my own study, What are you doing? I'm working on this media thing. What's that? Oh, oh, come speak at my church. Okay, where? And I would do speak. And I actually spoke at a couple of conferences and was picking up steam and people kept asking me, where's the book? And I go, book? I became an engineer to avoid reading and writing. (laughs) I'd rather work on an equation this big, this long than a book this thick and there's gonna be no book and uh but it got to a point where i was realizing more and more that i've got to really shift into more of the that field and so i was i actually asked my wife or my, my girlfriend at the time she's my wife now we're a late marriage both of us are late in life getting married and uh i was out absolutely completely out of communication, I was in Sudan completely, and I'd asked her to contact, find out something from uh, colleges, and I got back, and there was one college that was interested in me coming, and it was a Regent University, and, because uh, I realized, I, I'm speaking a lot, and what's my background? I don't have a credibility, I don't have this, this. so I, uh, they called me and said, well, we normally don't do this, she sent us some material, and they said, we'll, we'll, we'd like to, I offer you a spot if you can fill out and apply within the week, right now. I'm like, oh, I'm still in recovery phase of getting back from Africa, and I actually, I actually called Baylor University, because so that's where I, really, that's where I wanted to go, and they said they don't have, the, we don't have that program. It's funny later on, I ran into Ken Starr, in a strange situation. I don't know anybody. I, You're Ken Starr, and I said, I want to go to your school. He goes, well, you should have called me. I would have let you in. I go, I don't know Ken Starr excuse me, hello. I'm... <laughs> so in any case, I went back to school there. I decided to go back to school, and this was sort of risky, because I had zero background in, in communication. There's in communication, and it's also a school which is very strong on media. So I'm going in there going, I wonder how long I'm going to last at this, because I'm trying to expose one of the problems. And my question when I was in classes is, when they're talking about, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and I always ask the question, at what cost? What are the unintended consequences? And this is what I'm aiming at, the unintended consequences that are coming that people didn't know. And, uh, but the first day, I went there, and I was, I was pretty scared. I was all dressed up, and I came in there. Uh, what am I doing? I'm one of the older guys, too. Uh, what am I doing here? And there was, another, there was a young man there. And he was from a year ahead. And he was a young man, to me, young man. and. I talked to him and he, he radiated media. He, he's a PhD student. You're ahead of me now, of course. Radiating pop culture, radiating media, these things I'm telling you about. And he has, there's a lot more that goes into being cool. I, I don't have time to go into the media design for the cool person. And, I'm, and I, I go, okay, I, I gotta be wrong here again. I'm, I'm wrong this time. Well, then I I talked to him about a year or so into my program. He came up to me and goes, you know, I haven't figured you out. Okay. I was working on something in the computer room. He goes, why are you here? What's up? What's up with this? I said, well, okay. I stopped. And I gave him basically what I just gave you. And he goes... His response was, huh, <laughs> okay. Then I saw him about six months later and he, he said, hey, I wanna talk to you. You know, I remember you talked to me about that? I said, yeah, I, I gave him my sort of standard stuff, standard pitch. And he goes, well, I listened to you. Do you see, I'm a total media. At it. Of course, I'm going, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, I watch TV, I watch movies, I don't have friends. And he didn't. I don't know why. And he says, you know, so I, I went, I did a six-week fast from media. And then I went home to Texas, somewhere here. And I was home for uh, 10 days and my parents kept thinking, kept asking me, what's wrong? Are you okay? And finally at the end he goes, why are you asking me this? And they said, because this is the first time in 27 years you've showed any interest in us. That you sit down and wanna to talk to us. We keep thinking that you're gonna drop the bomb on us that you've got a disease, or you, what, are, what is it? You know, because you're interested in us. Something happened when he detoxed. And I do this with students. Get them off media. It takes a week, I can tell you. It's, pretty, it's, a, it's a miserable week. I take them camping or take them out. It's a miserable week. And then they have this new, that's like a new birth almost. people. Okay, so... All right, I want to I want to discuss something else, and it's a bit related to this. And I see young men, I see young women, and uh, my my heart torments torments me sometimes about young men, young women. They're the future. That's it. These teenagers in five years they're going to be, be, and and we. We've got a culture now, which is completely against responsibility. Completely responsibility against it. You know, again, it's part of the old thing. You know, know, what is what is what is pop culture's first and great commandment? Love yourself. Pop culture, yes, but in, in regard to this, thou shalt not be bored. Thou shalt not be bored. The second one, like unto it. Thou shalt not be boring. <laughs> remember remember when they said, I'm boring? It's pop culture. Well, we've got this stress, yes, of loving yourself first. It's, all, it's just, just completely, it's upside down. And I'm trying to figure out how to get ourselves to get back to a let me touch on on this topic you know when I was in, in the Army I first went in and some of you have been in the Army if you know you as a young, as an 18-year-old or so on, you show up there, and all of a sudden, it's a different world, it's a different life. They give you heavy stuff, and they make you do hard things, and and, and it's misery, and you're going, why am I doing this? And they have this thing called jodis, these songs. They sing. And they go, you know, ain't no use in looking down, ain't no discharge on the ground, meaning discharge, I can get out of here. And there's, they talk about this fictitious person called Jody who's who's the who's the the man who stayed home you left to go duty to your country and the the Jody it's it's a uh, ain't no look ain't no use in looking back Jody's got your Cadillac ain't no use in calling home Jody's got your girl and gone and it's this what am i doing i'm left the good life for this life of you know, sweat and dirt and sleeping in the rain and oh, you know there's there's this bemoaning and it's it's a struggle that the recruits go through. And again, I'm not advocating military. I'm so one of the best books I found on non-resistance is nonviolence. I got here and I've used that a lot. And so I'm non-resistance in the in the Anabaptist town completely. I wasn't. God beat non-resistance into me, okay? That's... (laughs) That's another story, okay? Okay. But it's a struggle that young men are going through in the military. I'm wondering if we're lacking in a similar struggle. They're struggling between that which we want... And what we are becoming, this hard life of duty and dropping the good life, the good life. The, the, Jody has taken all of my fun. He, all the things I was doing, he's doing, and here I am. And I wonder if, in a parallel sense, we need to question what are we doing? And I'm not talking about this congregation at, at all because I don't know you. I'm just speaking to the cultural influence that we're in a battle with. We're in this battle. It's 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 like all around the walls, outside, beating, beating, and trying to get in the window and come in. And you be like us. You be like us. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? There's some standard. You're supposed to be this. What's wrong with you? What do you mean? Oh, but this is. And the young people, most susceptible to that. The good life. What's the good life? That's a big, that was a big question in philosophy. It's the number one question in philosophy. What's the good life? Plato, you know, had to, had, wrote about it, write, writing about Socrates and this good life, trying to define what it is. Not comfort. It's supposed to, to act, to, to quell your desires and Build society and Aristotle, same thing, seeking the higher good and character. Epicurus, of course, takes this completely no, none of that. Just it's about relationship and being in. A, don't let things ruin your life and have this wonderful Stoic happy life. And Kant, these Kantian sayings that persists with us now about virtue, virtue and happiness are in opposition. Nietzsche. Basically, throw it all off. Throw it all off. And, and any constraint, throw it off. And it's supposed to be just the, the will to power. Just take over and become this person on your own, which influenced Nazi Germany. All this, what's the good life? We'll look at 1 Peter 3 for a second. Something has been hard on my mind, these scriptures... I'll, I'll make the statement first, then I'll read it. Usually I want to discover it. I'm not going to do it this time. The life of duty is the good life. The life of duty unto God, unto his purposes, come what may. Suffering, loss, Persecution, ridicule, disgrace in the world, all that stuff. The life of duty is the good life. In First Peter, finally ye be all of one mind, having compassion one another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrary wise, blessing, knowing that ye are therefore thereunto called, that ye may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips, that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil And do good and seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those that do evil. And who it is that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. and Be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Listen again. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart. And be ready always to give an answer to everyone that, to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope which, that is in you unique and uniqueness and fear. Here's your duty, people of God. Here's your duty. Sanctify the Lord your God in your hearts. That's your duty. To lift up the Lord in your hearts so that every part of your life, Everything in your being is all about lifting the Lord God in your hearts. From Sunday at 12 noon until Sunday at 11.59. Lifting up the Lord and being ready. And being ready. It means preparation. It means repetition. It means practice. It means taking in the right things, contemplating, back to the soldierly thing, or sports thing, equipping, learning how to do things. This is our, this is our duty. You know, there's times when we saw some situations that point to this. Luke 17, when he was talking with the disciples and they had asked him, they said, give us, give us faith. And he says, if you had faith, you could do great things. And for time's sake, I'll go boil it down to the last verse. So likewise, when you have done all those things which are commanded to you, think soldier-like, for a second, okay? When you've done all the things that the commander has given to you, the commander-in-chief has given you to do, you say, this is another command, you say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Have you grasped your duty? This lift the Lord up and be ready. The three aspects of my life over the last few years, I'm always trying to boil down what is, what is most important. What is it? Almost like, Lord, what is number one? And, and, and in this life of duty of serving the Lord God, of lifting him up in our hearts and into the world and before people and being ready to engage us, it comes down to three little statements for me. Win souls. Win lost souls who are on the railroad tracks of the judgment of God. Win souls. Make disciples. Make disciples. Pause for a second here. Duty. Make disciples. Not an option, not an option. I ask for young people. Well, everybody here, if someone came to you, said, Mr. Miller, I see that you're a follower of Christ, and I'm looking at this and it says, there's these things about discipleship, I'm disciple, and I, I don't know what it is. Mr. Miller, will you make me a disciple? Will you make me a disciple? Mrs. Smith, I've seen your life. I see that you, and I, I'm so convicted, I'm, I don't know what to do. Will you make me a disciple? Pastor, will you make me a disciple? How, how many of you would like that, to have someone come and do that? Make me a disciple. How many of you are ready? What, what do you do? Oh, well, um, read the Bible. And what, what else? What else? Go to church. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What else? Well, um, don't no more dirty words. Yes, okay. What else? Well, be nice to people. Okay, more, more, more. Give money to church, okay? And I'm not talking. I'm talking about what's going on in popular Christianity, okay? I'm not talking about. But here's a question: If somehow we could have one of I I would talk in my mind four top disciples—Peter, James, John, and Paul. Just if one of them could somehow—don't think silly on this. Like, what do they look like, or? If if one of them could come in, come in the doors this morning. We have this Paul somehow is coming in, he's gonna sit right here, right here. And we're we have a day with Paul or Peter or James or John what would they be like? These are people that were discipled by Jesus. Woo! That's the master disciple maker. What would they be like? What would they read? What would they, would they, would, would what would they be doing with their spare time? Or you talk to them. What would they talk to you about? Sports? Or what would they talk about with this person that's completely face to face with Jesus himself, taught by Jesus? Three of those guys will live with Jesus round the clock. What would they be like? Wow. How do you, how do you get them there? What what is the standard? to which you are striving for in making a disciple. What's that standard? We gotta, we may may do some adjustment. The ultimate disciple. Are we striving for the good enough disciple? good enough for government work, good enough for church work, good enough, no. No, with everything, all of your being. You, I, okay, Let's, let's go. I've got news for all of you. You got him. You got her. Because you have a duty to become a disciple. You have a duty, in a sense, to step out of yourself. God has given you a man or a woman to grow into a disciple. We'll go to Luke 14 in a minute. Your duty to make disciples. The third point, I'm looking at my life, I'm trying to reshape, constantly reshape, constantly refine, win souls, make disciples, build sacred community, build sacred community. I would say, from my observation, you're on to this, you're on, you're on to this. But. For sake of the discussion, take one of these away like a stool and it collapses. Like a three-legged stool, take one away. It's going down. You have to have this, this balance. Luke 14. And there's lots of other scripture to, to back this up. Starting verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, and yes, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What? You know, there's two ways of looking at that, cannot be my disciple. Two ways to look at this. One is... If you're loving them more than me, stop it. You can't be my disciple. Stop it. You increase your love for me, not decrease your love for them. Something's wrong. Something's out of balance. First commandment, second commandment, you've got a little out, something's, it's out of balance, you get that fixed. Number one, yes? The second way of looking at that is This person, this person loves their family more than me. This person loves their wife. They love, they love everybody more than me. They love his own life more than me. But that, that can't be one of my disciples. That can't, that can't be one of mine. Not that, no, look at them. Look at their loving. That can't be one of mine. Pretty powerful here, isn't it? 27. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot meet by disciple bear his cross yes you know, you've heard this the cross of death to your own life you are not your own you were bought with a price therefore you don't live for yourself you lift the Lord up in your life and prepared to give answers that's your duty For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, but he's able to finish it, lest after he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, he who sees it will begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and is not able to finish. What is that? What is this about? Well, it's not about a building. Lord, I will follow you, but let me first... Foxes have this. You're not even going to have a pillow. build, oh, Lord, I will build my... I'm going to be a disciple. You know what? Count the cost. It may cost you everything. Actually, it should cost you everything. Because none of it's yours anymore. You are dead for we died. Or what king, going to make war with another, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him that comes against him with 20,000. Or else, with the other one, is it still way off? He sends a delegation and asks for conditions of peace. So likewise, when you, or So likewise, whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. In other words, you're coming up against a huge army. The armies of darkness want to take you down. You as a church, you as an individual, are you ready to go into mortal combat? Have you prepared yourself? Have you become ready for battle? If you haven't, you know what? Quit. Basically stop. Just stop and make peace. Make peace with them. You're not going to fight to the end, and willing to take that. It's it's war. It's not play. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its flavor, how will be seasons? Neither is it fit for land. I uh, for the land, or the dunghill, but to throw out. Who has ears to hear. Let me just do a couple more verses here on this this duty. Acts 5 And to him they agreed and when they had called the apostles and beaten them they commanded that they should speak they should not speak in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and let them go and they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for shame of his name They're losing. They're losing. Are they? They're losing the comforts of this life. The pleasures of this life. We know their stories. They got none of the physical stuff. The bennies. They counted it. Because... The life of duty is the good life. The life of meaning, it's meaning that we're after. Viktor Frankl, if you get a chance to read, you probably mentioned Viktor Frankl. The meaning is what counts, not the pleasure. It's meaning, purpose, duty. Therein is the good life. And just, I'll pass it, I'll just comment. The man with the barns, remember him? Remember him? The ground of a man yielded much. What will I do with all my stuff? I'll build more barns. Then I'll say, soul, you've had it good, right? Eat, drink, and be merry. You know, the three idols. The triune idol. We know the triune God. You know who the triune idol is? Comfort, security, stimulation. That's who who the culture serves. Sometimes we serve it. Eat, drink, and be merry. What does it say? I'm sorry. This is one thing I don't want to hear from God. Lord, I want to hear from you. I don't want to hear this. Thou fool. That should make us tremble, thou fool. Tonight thy life. For what? And it keeps saying, for what? The life, life does not consist of the things. There's lots of verses. Life does not consist. So I have a wall here. We don't have time. Amen. Not life like my, my heart beating, blood going through, my lungs are working. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the purpose, the meaning the duty, the cause is not that stuff. And you have to be careful because we get sucked into it. And we're pressured by the world to do that. It's the duty of a child of God that brings us meaning, Come what may. Come what may. Come loss. Oh, yes, that's the meaning. That's the good life, people. Amen. It's the good life. We get to have it. I want to read a prayer. You no, know, I read through Martyr's Mirror. Anybody know Martyr's Mirror? Oh, I love it. Oh, thank you. I want to go hug oh, so many people here. <laughs> I read through it. Wow, huh? The prayer of Matthias Service of Cottingham. As he's in a prison, dungeon you know two years ago we went to um, Germany we were working with refugees in Germany and we went to the Wartburg Wartburg anybody in Wartburg one of the most important places on earth I think where Luther in flea- fled Ferdinand Frederick I guess Frederick he hid in this castle where he translated the Bible. So we went, we went there. I'd been there right after the wall came down in Germany. My old roommate and I, we headed over there got there and we got to see it. Right, right It wasn't even set up again. It was just a big mess from when it was in, under East German communism. And we went back. I took Julie there and we uh, we missed the English version. We didn't even know there was an English tour. So we went through the German tour and so I, I think I mistranslated a lot of it to my wife. I speak German, but not that good. But it's funny, they, have, they make a big deal of this St. Elizabeth, who was like a, a Mother Teresa person who, when her husband was lost in the Crusade, she became this Mother Teresa-ish. They, they did a lot on her, so Catholicism was covered. They covered the the great room on the top. There's this great room, red, black, and gold painted... A gravely important place I didn't know, they have conferences there, where the German youth, on the 400th anniversary of the Reformation, chose the colors for the German flag, the, the colors. interesting. And then we go into Martin Luther. That was Martin Luther. It was great had been in there. We look for the, the ink spot on the wall, and it's not there, you know, where he threw the ink at the, at the devil it wasn't there. We don't know. <clears throat> Maybe this, I don't know. Maybe they use some. I don't know. But when we're leaving, we looked over and there's a tower <clears throat> at the south end. The Wartburg is on a ridge. It's a beautiful ridge. At the very back, there's the south tower. And it's to protect people from coming down the mountains in. And we went over there. And, well, I want to go up that. You can pay a, a euro and go up there. I want to go. Let's go up there and take a loo. As we went by. I saw the placards, lots of placards, about this guy named... Uh, Fritz Eber, who's Fritz Eber? I don't know. Fritz Eber, and I'm trying to read it in German. I can speak street German, but reading is, ugh. And it kept talking about the uh, Wiedertaufer. Fritz Eber der Wiedertaufer, Anabaptist. Spent six years in the dungeon. Six years, you can go and look at it. There, was more, there were more placards about this guy, Fritz Seabird, than there were about Martin Luther. It's very interesting to see this. Six years, because he said, I have to follow this. I'm not baptizing my children until they come to faith. And he died. They found his grave. It's down there. You can go see it. Pretty interesting. If you look in that dungeon, about an eight-foot-by-eight-foot room for six years until finally he finally He died. Well, here's one of those. Listen to this man. Writing probably with a piece of charcoal, maybe on a rock. We don't know. That's what those of you who have read, you know what they, before he is executed. But just listen to this. Oh, that we had this heart. Lord, here am I. What wilt thou have me to do For I acknowledge that I owe it to serve thee and to do only thy will with all my ability, yea, with all my strength, so that I am to withhold nothing in this earth, whatever it be, not even my life, nor to refuse in my thoughts to pay thee the willing debt of obedience, which I owe thee to thee and am to give thee, not because I expect a reward from thee, but only that I show thereby that I love thee, so that we learn to hate all visible things for the lover's sake, that we may love him alone above all, and may be also loved by him. It was not, Lord, get me out of here. Lord, why me? Lord, I can't take much more of this. Lord, she's I'm not doing well with her. All these other Lord stuff. This is all just Lord. All I want, Lord, is to do my duty. That's all I'm asking. Lord, just that I can do my duty to you. Father in heaven, help us to be disciples. Lord, help us to, in a sense, hate all things that would in any way tamper with our first and great commandment to love you with our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to then love others as ourselves. Lord, I ask you that all of us would strengthen in our concept of duty, that we would understand that good life is not defined by the world, not by material, not by honor, not by success. It's determined by you, And that we would be faithful men and women of duty, willing to suffer <coughs> tribulation. Yea, y'all. we must through great tribulation enter. We' understand this. We may have to go through a stripping to become that ultimate disciple that we would before you. Lord, we cannot do it without you. we can't do it without you. We need your help. We need a filling of the spirit. We need a leading of the spirit. We need an empowering of the spirit. We need confirmation of the Spirit. We need you to move us. We cannot do it without you. So give us this, Lord, that we become these disciples that you you call on us for. Lord, bless this congregation. Increase their ability to lift the Lord up in their hearts, to prepare to give answers. To a dark world. Lord, I look forward to a day when instead of a piddly little thousand or so that are here worshiping, it'll be oceans of people calling upon you and thanking you and marveling at you. And that that we'll be able to someday say, Lord, you gave us works to do. You did the works. We got to walk in these works. Lord, look what you did. You let us be part of it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, that we would look and have that vision. Bless this congregation. Bless these pastors. Bless these, these young people, these young men. That you would give them a sense of duty like never before. The young women. Oh, Fill them also unto advancement of the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray.